0: Are you ready to turn your investments into retirement income? Listen in as Jeremy Kyle and his guests reveal ways you can make smarter retirement, investment, and tax planning decisions to achieve your ideal retirement. You will learn more about your money so you can feel better about your money and make better money decisions. Now, on to the show.
1: Welcome to Retirement Revealed. I'm your host, Jeremy Kyle, and we're here to turn your retirement savings into a consistent income. Although we're not talking too much about income today, we're doing a series calling it How to Fix America. Somehow we'll figure it out, out right now in the next 25 minutes, <laughs> but we're hoping to t- fix America with health care. And I brought on Dan Sim. Dan's a professor at Concordia University, amongst a lot of things on there. And he wrote a book called Purple Solutions, A Bipartisan Roadmap to Better Healthcare in America. Thanks for coming on the show, Dan. Thanks for having me. Well and it's it's wonderful to have you cuz you're literally right here. We yeah, we're works. in the same same towns and and <laughs> appreciate you coming out into we'll call it a studio. I live like 6 blocks away from here. <laughs> yeah, it's that's great. Well you you wrote this book a, a few years ago. What what prompted you to write write this book?
2: Yeah, I have a a background in healthcare, more like pharmaceuticals, but so I'm a a tech person, a a science person, but I I moved into a, a business as an entrepreneur, serial entrepreneur, started a couple of companies that have a healthcare angle and eventually evolved into role as Dean of Business at Concordia University and started a think tank focused on healthcare. And much of my life had been focused on wanting to improve people's health from the perspective of new medicines, but as I thought about it and talked to a lot of people, the bigger problems, at least in America, is, is the dysfunctional way that we deliver healthcare. It's kind of a mess, and I think everybody would agree with that. And in terms of the healthcare you get, we, we do have wonderful healthcare in America, but the, the whole process, the structure of it is, is not working well.
1: Yeah. A lot of people are just looking for a magic pill. So they figure the magic pill with healthcare is let's just do something new or find something new. And, and yeah. you're saying, let's just kind of restructure different ways to, whole to deliver The economics
2: it. of how we do it, it's just not working well. There's no magic pill. It's nice that we talk about magic pills because you only get like 15 minutes with your doctor anyway. So you right. can't solve bigger problems. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well,
1: uh you went through. I read the book; is great, and the way, way that you did it is you you brought on a bunch of experts that right. are out there. I think that's maybe part of the problem with healthcare is the politicians think they're the experts. You yeah. went out and said you know quite a bit about healthcare, and you brought on a lot of healthcare experts in different areas, and then also kind of summarized different parts of the the book. Right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, there's I think about twenty co-authors, and they're experts from from all over healthcare. From hospital CEOs to single physician group, small office clinics, had the president of the AMA, we had policy experts in there as well. Like, like you said, the trouble is healthcare is a little bit complicated in terms of how we deliver it. And the people advising the politicians typically tend to be people with vested interest in some piece of uh, what the former president of the AMA called the medical industrial complex. Right, yeah, that's about <laughs> so right. They all, they all have a bias and that's where the politicians are getting their information. <laughs> yeah,
1: well, I like how you start out. You got the first section saying, where are we now, kind of the good and bad. You went right. through empowering patients, providers and payers. So it's saying like, who is the, the people that need to be closest to healthcare and how do we give them more power? And of course, you've got your background in the pharmaceutical industry. Yeah. So drug prices is a big a big deal. And then also, too, just the thought of the healthcare safety net. So you've got these great sections laid yeah. out. And the first one, you said the problem is it's a high cost yeah. with with low results. Yeah. And, of course, you just said that we have good healthcare. What t- What do you mean by low results, then, if we have good healthcare?
2: <laughs> well, I mean, in terms of the, the surgical procedures and the innovation that we have around new medicines, and uh, we have really well-trained physicians and nurses and practitioners and so on, the low results, I think, come from like I said, the dysfunctional way that we deliver it, it it takes long to get an appointment with your doctor. When you do, you have little time, the way reimbursement and payment happens in in America doesn't drive a process where you get to troubleshoot and spend time with your doctor. You know, it takes months to see a specialist. We can't even see a specialist. You got to go through your primary care. And then it takes a long time to get to see your primary care. People that don't have a lot of financial resources, maybe don't have insurance. They end up going to the emergency room instead of something else. They have no other options, but emergency rooms are required to treat everybody. So it's the most expensive way to get healthcare, but then hospitals don't get reimbursed for that. So then they end up charging you more. So, so the care itself is good. The process that we get it is, is not good. It's dysfunctional. And I think both Republicans and Democrats see that. They just see different solutions to it. And the fact that they can't talk and agree about anything, it's like a stalemate and we're, we're stuck. And so the only solutions you hear are universal health care that Bernie Sanders was talking about years ago, or what feels like to people, the wild west of, of complete free market with, with no insurance and no regulation. And the reality is, and I kind of broke my book up into the chapters that is that we need a hybrid solution. We need something. That is simple and direct, <clears throat> and I can explain that if you want, that you could call free market healthcare, and then we also need some sort of insurance that's a safety net, but given that CMS, which covers Medicare Medicaid is over trillion dollars a year, and the entire revenue pulled in from taxpayers is, is, is about three or four trillion dollars. You know, if, if we were to cover everybody with that system, we'd have no money left for anything roads, education, anything. So the problem, and this is what frustrates me, the problem in terms of the economics of healthcare, isn't that we're providing it to more people. The problem is the cost is out of control. You know, it's 18% of GDP, you know, 18 cents on every dollar you spend in America is for healthcare. That's more than anywhere else in the world. So I would argue the real problem is why is it so darn expensive? It's not the real problem. Isn't who's paying for it? The government, if we had universal health care, or you individually, because whoever's paying for it, it's too much, right? <laughs> and anyways, right. if the government pays for it, it's you paying for it anyway. So true.
1: Well, that and that's um yeah. You said in the book that really the cause, and I, I think this is the root of a lot of it, is that the consumers themselves are not the direct payers. Yeah. Like you you go and you pay for your oil change, right? But you don't. Pay, you know, uh, I'll, well, I'll give you an example. My wife works in the school system. And so general thought is that you just get uh, your insurance is is covered and it's free, you know, right. <laughs> of course. And so you go to the dentist and it costs you 50 bucks and you get upset. Yeah. But if you go to the, you know, get your oil change and it costs you 50 bucks, well, that's, that's fine. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it
2: makes no sense. It's, it's crazy. And I don't know why we think of healthcare so differently. So we call it insurance. This right. thing that we maybe use. that's a the
1: problem. They call insurance, and it's yeah. not. It's it just is just absolutely a not insurance.
2: <laughs> care, really. What you do is you put money in a pot that we call insurance, and then you give other people power to spend your money for you, so they'll decide what gets reimbursed or not. But when you think of what insurance really is, it's when something rare and catastrophic happens, then you use the insurance to pay for that. So. If your car needs a new carburetor, you pay for that. It's not that expensive, but if your car gets totaled, then you use your insurance. So there was a, a, a great book written by David Goldhill, uh, catastrophic care that kind of laid this all out 10 years ago, which is the idea that we should use healthcare insurance, like insurance, we should not use it very often, but when something expensive happens, which frankly for the average person is like once every 10 years. Mm-hmm. You have a heart attack, you need surgery, perhaps having a baby could fall in that category or not. Uh, but if you had just put your money in something like an HSA and been empowered to spend it, however you want, you could cover almost everything that happens to you, except for those three or four things in your life that are serious, you get cancer or something like that and use insurance for that. That is what countries, many other countries across the world do as well. Singapore, you know, we spend 18% of GDP. Singapore actually has wonderful healthcare and healthcare outcomes and they spend far less than 10% of GDP and they have something universal as well, but they also have people not using insurance, using cash. I think the government kind of funds an HSA in a way, sure. but for example, you can get a membership in in a physician group for less than $100 a month. So that's $1,200 a year. Imagine you get 24-7 access to a doctor. You can text your doctor at 11 o'clock at night and say you have pains in your gut. What's going on here? And they'll respond typically. When you go to visit your doctor, you're typically there for 30 minutes to 60 minutes talking with them. That's like, you know, the idealistic world of Dr. Welby, when you get a doctor that actually knows you and spends a lot of time with you for $1,200 a year. If you're a person that doesn't have insurance and you go to the emergency room for something that sh- shouldn't need the emergency room, that's going to be way more than $1,200 a-, a month. So I think if we were using, and, and by the way, we're not allowed to use HSAs for for that kind of direct primary yeah, care, of course. which yeah. is crazy. <laughs> but you could use it for Band-Aids. <clears throat> yes. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> So imagine most people in America could get everything they need for less than $1,500 a year and then just use insurance for, for the the rarer things that happen. You know, I, without doing a lot of complicated math, that should intuitively tell you we could save a lot of money in healthcare and you wouldn't need to go to emergency rooms. You could just go to your doctor.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's not even like a, a change of almost a political system at all. It's 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 really just a change of everyone's mindset. But yeah. it's, it's I, I like how you wrote in there, think of it the health insurance should be like every other insurance yeah like you you, you paint your house you you pay for it right yeah. but your your house burns down you have a deductible and then your insurance company comes in and helps you with hundreds of thousands of dollars yeah for that rare rare situation like insurance should be health insurance
2: should be yeah like they should listen
1: to the word it's insurance yeah like make it use just just
2: Treat it like that. <laughs> I'm telling you. And there have been tons of studies, and you can look at my book, and I have data that supports this, is that process of using insurance the way we do it inflates the cost of health care. You know, Congress passed, and and this started under the Trump administration and continued under the, the Biden administration. So you don't hear too much about it because politicians on either side don't want to admit when they agree. Right, yeah. <laughs> but they were... Uh, Forcing hospitals to, to provide price transparency. So you know what you're going to pay up front. So what a concept, you know, you go into the grocery store, it's not like all the foods unlabeled and, and you buy whatever you buy And two months later, you get a bill for $2,000 and you're like, what the heck did I buy? Yeah. <laughs> so Congress forced that for the first time ever starting this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's and a lot of hospitals aren't compliant, but many are, and you find things like hip surgery that are varying in price from. Say ten or fifteen thousand dollars to forty-five thousand dollars, and generally, you know, you might say, "Oh well, I bet the more expensive ones are better." Well, actually, there's no correlation with quality and outcomes. Oh wow! The prices are arbitrary because there's nobody policing the prices. What yeah. happens is. The big providers, the big hospital providers, are uh, they'll negotiate behind the scenes with the insurance company rates that nobody knows. It's called the charge master. They have their mm-hmm. internal set of rates that they negotiated. It's like a business trade secret. And sometimes they do a good job of negotiating and they get a high number and sometimes they get a low number. But the point is, why do we as consumers decide to give all our money to two big entities, insurance companies and providers, and they hash things up behind the scenes with our money. And in the end, they're making a lot of money. And uh, here's Dan the Cynic speaking. (laughs) If you wanna know where money is flying, look who has the biggest and most beautiful buildings, insurance companies, providers, and they have a huge administrative overhead. You know, just alone, whenever you get a procedure done and a doctor sees you, somebody behind the scenes, a team of coders, ICD-11 coders and whatnot will categorize, oh, the physician talked to you about this. That's ICD-11 code 1029 or whatever. Right. And then they bill your insurance based on that. You know, and is there pressure on doctors to up-code? You know, that was something that was explored years ago, is that there was upcoding? coding I think physicians are wonderful. I, I don't think they're doing that kind of stuff on purpose, but I think there are internal financial pressures. Right. One of which is, say you need an MRI there's pressure to use the MRI that's in the hospital network, which is typically quite a bit more expensive than if you got an MRI somewhere else. Well, you know, why does the hospital do that? they say it's because they want sort of consistency of care. They want everything in one place. I would argue that oftentimes it's just an anti-competitive process so that they actually charge more for their MRIs because they say they have big overhead, Right. right. Uh, whereas you can get a, a high quality MRI for $500 or so. But if you do it in, in the hospital, it'll be $1,500. Now, if you were spending your own money, you'd say, well, I wonder, is that $500 MRI the better way to go? But you don't have any say in that. Yeah. Somebody just says, you need an MRI, and they send you here. And then you get a bill later, and they tell you, well, don't worry about it. The insurance covers right, it. Right, of course. Well, after you pay $1,500, the insurance covers it. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Well, and you, and you said that, and you alluded to it there, that it's it's the insurance companies, it's the providers, it's the administrators, it's the government that's making all these decisions yeah it's not the patient or the or the actual doctor yeah exactly
2: <laughs> yeah and that, that I think is you know I bipartisanship sounds like a crazy delusional thought yeah of course <laughs> so I, I try not to talk about that what I say is let's empower patients and physicians. I mean, I think that's something most people can get behind. So, yeah. So don't give your power away to the government or don't give it away to big corporations. I think that is something that's easy to communicate and there's data to support that. That's less expensive and that's more better care as well. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm leading, I'm trying, well, I'm not leading. I'm part of a wave of people that are leading a revolution to mm-hmm. empower patients and physicians. You know, yeah. I, this is probably a bad analogy, but imagine how, the world of of transportation changed with, with Uber and, and Lyft, you know, you put enough grassroots power in the hands of consumers and individuals and a big bureaucracy that you never thought could change is forced to change. So that's the kind of revolution that I think is happening with, with what's called direct primary care right now. As soon as people realize, I don't have to pay a thousand dollars a month for insurance and $3,000 copay. I can just pay a hundred dollars a month and get everything I need. And I don't need to use this big bureaucracy. Once people realize that and they're not realizing it yeah, cause they're stuck in this wrong mindset, but I think that's going to drive a revolution and it is happening. There's direct primary care opening up across the country in the last year, so. Yeah, my friend's. Uh, uh, he lives in Maryland. We're out here in Wisconsin.
1: He's been a direct primary care physician for a few years now, and he okay. he loves it. That's yeah. just the way he 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 gets to spend his time with his patients. He gets to talk to them about you know weight loss and exercise. Yeah, he's exactly. Not, he's not focused on you call this fancy term RVUs. He's not yeah. focused on just trying to figure out how to get the most revenue out of a uh, right. patient interaction.
2: Yeah, uh, RVUs, relative value units. It's it's how reimbursement happens. So the The more RVUs that the physician bills for, the more money is made for the hospital. And I think physicians are highly ethical people, but there's that pressure on them. That's the wrong way to view this. You should be focusing on on working with the patient and solving their problems, not putting things in chunks of how can I bill you? Uh, Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because
1: it's not outcomes based. It's not saying, hey, I've got all these uh, healthy patients because of what I've done. It's it's well I've been able to uh, bill on a bunch of things
2: right exactly and you know I think that the suicide rate is extremely high amongst physicians I Mm -hmm. think they don't know that they've been sucked into this and they have very little education about business so what they've done is they've empowered other people to control their lives and then they realize that they're in this world where they're on a treadmill they have little time to spend with patients everything is sort of reimbursement driven they would rather do what you talked about, which is spend time with patients and get right. to know them. But they're in a structure, a machine that doesn't let them do that. You know, I had at my, I have every year, I have a healthcare economics summit. Yeah. And last year we had president of the Wisconsin Medical Society, Wendy Malaska speak, and she is a direct primary care physician. So you may say, well, who, who's this Dan guy? What does he know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, the president of, of Wisconsin Medical Society jokingly said well, I don't think he was joking she said at the summit she said i was just burning out she said yeah i was ready and it's funny because i thought about this i was ready to to pursue a job as a truck driver which you know i oftentimes i think that i it's it's a good paying job yeah. <laughs> you get to sort of be in your head and think about yeah. stuff and she said i it was over for me i just couldn't do it anymore she was on right. the treadmill and she said either find something else or try this thing called direct primary care and she loves it she gets to know her patients she, she spends a lot of time with them so I think the the dysfunctional healthcare system we have is also breaking doctors who went into medicine to help people and spend time with them and instead they found themselves in some kind of golden handcuffs in some system that isn't good for them either because they want to spend quality time with patients It's
1: Jeremy Kyle here, and I know you're listening to the Retirement Reveal Podcast because you want to learn more about making great retirement decisions. I've created a free video course for you to do just that. Head over to 5stepretirementplan.com and sign up to receive this video training right in your email inbox. We broke down our 5-step retirement plan into bite-sized videos so you can get started on the retirement, investment, and tax planning you need to create a consistent retirement income. Go to 5stepretirementplan.com Use the number or spell it out you'll get there either way five step retirement dot com thanks for listening and now for the rest of the show well, that's that's good and i we've alluded to i think people have figured out like what is the actual solution we'll have you summarize that in a few minutes but before that i want to talk about drug prices and yeah. i guess for me because uh, thankfully i just don't take any prescription drugs it's just yeah. not something on my radar but i hear about it. it's a, it's a huge problem i read your chapter and i tell you i felt hopeless afterwards like <laughs> Sorry. give me some hope about <laughs>
2: drug prices being too high and what we can do about it in america so drug prices is is a really hard one for me cuz i you know the whole premise of the book is is to have some sort of free market approach to buying things where there's no insurance and then some sort of safety net. And the reason that I feel we need this is is too much concentrated power, whether it's in government or monopolies. And really healthcare is an oligopoly, too vertically integrated mm-hmm. and otherwise. But, so here's the problem with drugs. <laughs> I'm an innovator, I, I, I was in drug discovery development. There is definitely truth to the fact that to be able to drive innovation for making drugs, you do need patents. And patents are a monopoly granted to a company that innovates. So, and this is, you know, embodied in our constitution, you know, the, the idea that we should have patents, which grant innovators a limited monopoly. So I think we need that. I truly think we need that. And why is that on average and you hear different numbers, but to take a drug from idea to market is, is about 10, 12 years. And it costs a, at least a billion dollars, a couple billion dollars. That That somewhat inflated number comes from the fact that eighty percent of all drugs in clinical trials fail, so mm. you know so maybe a, a given drug might cost or it might cost a billion dollars, but that's because four out of five yeah. failed, so it's really right. two hundred million but yeah whatever
1: <laughs> what's a what's eight hundred million <laughs> yeah.
2: uh, yes, exactly, but the point is the actual drug the powder that the chemist makes is not that expensive (laughs) yeah exactly. Um, it's all the research that you did and you're never gonna make that money back unless you can charge more than it costs to manufacture the pill so patents are the only thing that allows that so if you don't give people patents companies patent there's no way to get the money back. So we need patents, we need monopolies. That's part of the reason drugs are more expensive before they go generic. Once they go generic, you're seeing the market price. You know, I don't know if there's any way to decrease the cost of the average generic biologics and infusibles are maybe different, but Having said that, you've given somebody a monopoly, you've given them a patent. Do they ever abuse it? Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes they do. (laughs) Do they charge too much? Sometimes they should be able to recover their investment. That's for sure. Do people abuse patents when there has only been marginal innovation like the, uh, like the EpiPen? You know, we, we've had epinephrine put in an injectable pen for years. There's really no more innovation there. And there were huge uppricing of that because they had a patent on something that, frankly, I would say was trivial. So so there was an abuse of the patent monopoly power. So so here it is. You know, if if, if I categorize myself as sort of slightly libertarian leaning, <laughs> how do I deal with the fact that it's good to grant limited monopolies? And we need somebody to oversee when they get abused. So I do think there needs to be some sort of government oversight. If you're uh, not a big government person, then, then what I suggested in the book, and this is really a, a, a painful dilemma for me because, because I'm struggling with the, the, need for monopolies and the need to regulate them is, is I'm suggesting. And I give a series of things that could be looked at that the industry, maybe a nonprofit group you know, like for quality, we have ISO standards, you know, maybe there'd be a nonprofit organization that does its best to assess whether this is fair pricing or not, but they don't impose it. So, now, if you were sort of a small government libertarian kind of person, you would say, well, okay, they've stated this. So that'll shame the company into doing what's right because the public knows if you're somebody who believes in more government regulation, then you'd say this information provided by experts would be given to the government and the regulators and they would, they would step in. And, and certainly we have the federal trade commission to step in when there's, you know, a monopoly, you know, abuses and things like that. So. So yeah, the, the drug problem is a bit of a dilemma for me because it does require monopolies and regulation. But the other issue that everybody's well aware of is other countries, unlike the U S regulate drug prices. So if you want to be on the government's formulary, so in other words, the government's list of approved drugs, you know, Pfizer, Merck, ABV, whoever you are, Takeda, you have to negotiate with the government, the people that control their formulary to be on it and they negotiate with you and they negotiate a low price. So we don't do that in the US. I'm not saying we should, but it's being talked about right now. but, but here's the injustice is the rest of the world doesn't and we don't. So then we end up paying high prices for drugs and the rest of the world doesn't. So what does that mean? we are financing drug development for the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I don't know how to deal with that sort of injustice. What again, surprisingly un- under a Republican administration with Trump, Trump was proposing price controls, which it it just blew my mind that the Democrats and Republicans couldn't agree on something that Republicans would never propose, which was price controls and he yeah. was proposing price controls. <laughs> right. But we'll we'll see where that goes. But what he was saying was look what the prices are charged to other countries and tether our price to that. So in other words, you could argue that that's a kind of market force with price controls. So in other sure. words, if the pharma companies are gonna negotiate unreasonably low prices with other countries, then they should be punished internally in the US sure. for doing that. Yep. So there was a, a logic to that in a way, but here we are, we're, we're, we're stuck. There's, yeah. there's no solution yet. But I will say this more often than not, it seems for routine drugs like Prozac for depression and things like that, you're better off getting it through something like good RX where you pay cash and you don't use your insurance. Whereas if you use your insurance, there's going to be a big upcharge and you're going to have to pay a copay. So I would, uh, I would still look at what I'm going to call free market approaches, which in other, other words, you know, Avoid a reimbursement driven world. Check that out because things like GoodRx are using that approach. And those are usually for generics anyways. Yeah.
1: Tell me about GoodRx because I've been hearing about this from people and yeah. and I uh, I looked into it, they actually give you like an insurance, what do they call it? A BIN number. It's yeah. like you, you basically have like an insurance card, so they just run it through, yeah. but it's just a membership. Like how does. It's just
2: a membership. Yeah. And they're getting what is the actual sort of market price for the drug sure. with, with less middlemen involved as well. So you're getting a uh, really a market-based price and without insurance. And yeah, they, I think that's just for the, I don't know all the details of how that works, but I think it's just so they have you in your database and can manage and that sort of thing. But I, uh, you know, I, I know of a case where a a drug would have been $150 through my insurance and it was 30 bucks with, with good RX. And part of the trouble is, and I, I had the the VP for uh, regulatory affairs at one of the big pharmas, I shouldn't name it because I don't right. want to call somebody out, but cool. he was saying, he, he was saying to the public in the audience that I had, he was saying, look, you're, you're mad at us because drugs are expensive. He said, we're the ones that developed the drug and we're only getting 60% of the money. Why is that? You know, a simple question, you can argue that Pfizer or whoever is, is making too much money. But why is the person that delivers the drug from Pfizer to the pharmacy getting 40%? And I'm, oh my goodness. I'm trivializing yeah. what they do. They're, yeah. they're, they're negotiating. They're, they're sort of the, uh, um, you know, it's like the wholesaler, but, mm-hmm. but nonetheless, there have been huge abuses in price arbitrage in that PBM pharmacy benefit manager world. Right. Uh, and we had Congresses try tried to pass laws to deal with that as well. So the fact that we have this huge anti-competitive world And PBMs, which are the drug middlemen, are sometimes the culprits, not always. Some are transparent. Is really adding to to the problem. And government is stepping in to fix that. It's it's a huge mess. If we didn't have this sort of oligopoly-like medical industrial complex, we wouldn't need government to intervene. So my free market friends sort of say, well, why do you want government to fix that? I so, said, well, because we have a monopoly and an oligopoly, if you read yeah. Adam Smith in The Wealth of Nations, you know he didn't want everything in the hands of government, and he didn't want everything in the hands of monopoly. And all the Republicans and Democrats ever talk about is who should have the power, right. government or, or the oligopoly. <laughs> like, yeah, it's just like nobody, and, and I'm like the furthest thing in the world from a socialist, but there's nobody talking about empowering the people mm-hmm. <laughs> in, the, in the way, say, Adam Smith wanted. <laughs> right.
1: I think Adam Smith said all power to the people. Maybe yes. it wasn't him, but he yeah. meant it.
2: Yeah. yeah. So powering people is, is absolutely the opposite of socialism. Yeah. <laughs> Even exactly. though it sounds different in the marketing materials. Right.
1: Yeah. <laughs> right on. Well, I think, uh, let's just have you summer up cause I, I have picked up from you empower patients and physicians and just separate the idea, truly treat your health insurance like insurance right. and just separate your, the, the transactions you do. You go to Walgreens and you buy, you know, band-aids. There's nothing wrong with going to your dentist and you footing the bill for your, your, your dental cleaning or going to your your doctor twice a year just for a a checkup and you paying the the full price because when you're in charge of the full price it'll naturally come down uh, yeah because you're you're the one doing that and you're you're kicking out the middleman in all those transactions yeah uh, so many
2: times you're empowered and you'll pay less
1: yeah great yeah just yeah so let's solve it right now you got two minutes solve it
2: (laughs) solve healthcare in america so I think, like you said, we need to treat insurance like insurance, something we use rarely for catastrophic things. We pay for things directly through direct primary care, and people may say, well, I don't have money for that. So we need to loosen the regulations around health savings accounts. So employers can put money in there, perhaps even the government put money in, you put money in the HSA. You're a retirement planner. The idea of an HSA is if you don't spend it all on healthcare, it's still your money and the leftover money goes to your retirement. So I would say, Spend your own money in an HSA on your health care and then use insurance for more rare and catastrophic things. And if you're an advocate for universal health care of some sort, then have something like the ACA that is structured in such a way where you're not planning to use it <laughs> except for when you have heart surgery or something really expensive. So. A very high deductible plan that is rarely used except for things that are quite expensive. So and hopefully the premiums of that would come down. Now having said all of that, so now we've got this two tier system we've got universal health care with high deductible that you hardly ever use, so it's less expensive. And then we've got HSAs where the government has loosened regulations where you can actually spend that money on whatever you want for health care, including a direct primary care doctor, which you're not allowed to do because the industry says direct primary care is insurance and healthcare and it's absolutely not. <laughs> so it's, to me, it's like smoke and mirrors, but, so there's that, that's that's sort of the solution I have. And I think it needs a grassroots revolution because I don't think the industry is incentivized to do this because they lose money if this happens. So it needs to be a grassroots healthcare revolution and uh, a government to either get out of the way or change regulations so that people can use their HSAs in this way. I think once you see how wonderful it is to have 24 seven access to a doctor for so little money, you know, that's, that's a, you you're, you're going to love it. So people just need to open their minds to that, do that, experience that. And then that'll force the government to come along.
1: Yeah, I like it, and leading it from kind of the grassroots is definitely the the way to go. Yeah. Where when the the people take control of their own health care, then just the politicians and the corporations have to just follow suit.
2: Yeah, yeah, the politicians do because the people elect them, so if the people want it, they have to do it. Yeah. Got and, and the corporations just need to pivot to what the market's doing.
1: Right. Yeah. Good. Well, welcome. Well, thank thank you for coming in, Dan. I've got your book here, Purple Solutions. The first three people that email me, jeremy at com. I will send this book out to you because it's just a wonderful book to just learn about kind of the issues with healthcare in America, but the solving of those issues. Yeah. Uh, besides the book, how should people reach out to you, Dan?
2: Well, they can find me at Concordia University, Sam at Edu, And if you want to come to our Healthcare Summit on August 9th, you can hear more about that as well. So
1: Yeah, so we'll put out uh, all those links to the, the ways that you're helping people out there. And I'm going to change up the outro because I'm, I'm going to appreciate you here, Dan. So thanks for coming out, Dan. Thanks. And thank you for listening to the Retirement Revealed podcast. We believe if you know more about your healthcare, you will feel better about your healthcare, and you will make better healthcare decisions.
0: Thank you for listening to the Retirement Revealed podcast. Click on the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit retirement-revealed.com to learn more. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Kyle Financial Partners. Kyle Financial Partners does not provide legal, accounting, or tax advice. Consult your attorney or tax professional. Representatives have general knowledge of the Social Security tenants. For complete details on your situation, contact the Social Security Administration. Kyle Financial Partners is a part of the Thrivent Advisor Network, a registered investment advisor. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice.